I've handed out a sheet to you all that includes on one side the refuges and precepts, which I'll get to later. And on the flip side is a short series of verses called Encouraging Counsel. And so I will be offering a commentary on this uh, Encouraging Counsel uh, verses. Do good deeds, avoid causing harm, and purify your mind. These are the teachings of the Buddha. It is generosity that one can rely on for one's happiness, one's wealth, and one's humanity. And living in harmony, too, is a real refuge, and it makes one pleasing, delightful, and free from destructive states of mind. Let there be only a few things that you attend to, a few words that you say, and a few hours that you spend sleeping. Love solitude. Be willing to learn and seek good friends. These are the six factors contributing to good dhammas. Continuous mindful awareness leads to insightful understanding of the causal relationship between the mind and the body, their impermanence, unreliability, and insubstantiality. Such wisdom leads to lasting peace. This center and this retreat should be a quiet place where we strengthen our faith, practice generosity, live in harmony, calm and liberate the mind. This is an adaptation of Mahasi Sayadaw's admonition. And Mahasi Sayadaw was a monk in Burma during the middle of the last century. And he is somewhat of a grandfather of the tradition of mindfulness and Vipassana that we practice here at this retreat and throughout the West. And he's a grandfather in that he was the teacher of Manindra, of Deepama, and they were and Upandita, Saito Upandita. And Manindra and Deepama were the teachers of Jack, Joseph, and Sharon, and they've been the kind of the senior elder Western teachers in this tradition. And so there's a very direct link between the monastery and monastic retreat center in Burma that Mahasi Sayadaw established and what we're doing here today. Mahasi Sayadaw is noted for maybe not only was he an extraordinary scholar and yogi, but he started a meditation center for lay people, for householders like us in Burma. And there he taught his method of establishing uh, momentum of awareness and deep insight that was effective for people who could only get away for a week or two, a month or two, a year. And he offered the teachings that were effective, which prior to that time, one would have to enter the monastery or the nunnery for a lifetime in order to get those teachings and effective guidance for realizing the teachings of the Buddha. So in some way, the great skill or the great teaching or the great benefit of Mahasi Sayadaw to us is that 
he realized that householders like us, who are sincere in their aspiration and diligent in their efforts, can develop the purity of mind and the purity of understanding to free the mind from suffering. This is the teachings of the Buddha. We don't need to live in the monastery. We don't need to live in a cave. We don't have to isolate ourselves. But if we are diligent in our household practice and take the opportunity to do retreats like this, we too can really recognize and see the benefit uh, in our own life of the teachings of the Buddha for us. I find this uh, admonition encouraging because it lays out in very simple and, and some might say pretty ordinary uh, terms what the practice is. You know, do good deeds, avoid causing harm, purify your mind. That's it. Of all the teachings, I mean, how many Buddhist books have you read? If you go into a bookstore, you go online and you look up Buddhist teachings, where do you even begin? But they're all coming from, and all traditions of the teachings of the Buddha come from these simple but not easy to do instructions. Do good, avoid causing harm, and purify the mind. And so I find it encouraging that it really can be that simple. But as I said, it's not always easy. And we do need a lot of encouragement. So I find this uh, statement um, encouraging and supportive of my aspiration to uh, suffer less, to be a little happier. The word that um, Mahasi Sayadaw used was admonition. But uh, to me, the word admonition has a little bit of a finger wagging. Now I'm telling you, I told you so. And contrary to that attitude, I feel that this is an uplifting uh, articulation of what can be done to really uh, free the mind. So he begins by saying, do good deeds, avoid causing harm, purify your mind. These are the teachings of the Buddha. And as I mentioned, all the traditions, whether it's a Zen tradition or the Tibetan tradition or uh, the Thai tradition, the Burmese tradition, any tradition. All those teachings come from and include this, these practices. What does it mean to do good deeds? Well, essentially it means to be a benefactor rather than a bother in your life. To do that which is skillful, which is helpful, which is wholesome, which is beneficial to oneself and to others. And there are a list of the ten wholesome deeds to do. You know, the Buddha was great with lists. And uh, he had a list for everything, or everything was included in many lists, I might say. And so he had this um, list of ten wholesome deeds, and I want to just mention them so we can begin to see how ordinary Buddhist practice can be. Offer charity to the poor. 
live in harmony with one another. Revere and respect those who are worthy. Serve others. Share the joy of your own well-being with others. Listen to the Dharma. If you have the opportunity, share the Dharma with others. And then there's two that are more particular to what we'll be doing here. Straighten your views. Listen to the teachings to correct wrong understandings. Straighten your views. And finally, develop your mind. Now, in the Buddhist teachings, develop your mind means something different than what it means for most of us in the West. In the West, to develop your mind might mean to go get a, another degree or to go to a workshop and develop your mind, learn something else. That's not all that's included in the Buddha's understanding of develop your mind. But there are two general fields of work in developing your mind in the Buddhist tradition. And the first is learning how to calm your mind down. You know, I'm sure all of you are well aware of how restless, anxious, fretful, easily jerked around the mind is and how reactive it can be with the slightest provocation. We don't have to meditate to notice that. We know, we all know that. And so learning how to calm the mind down so that we're not quite so hair-trigger reactive is the first step of training the mind, purifying the mind. We do that by practicing mindfulness, which is what we'll be doing here. If we can bring our attention to the present moment, its experience, that's mindfulness, we will gradually see that the mind becomes somewhat stable, a little less reactive, a little calmer. But that's only the first part. The second part of developing the mind is to purify your understanding. We suffer, we get entangled, we get in a mess, we get in an emotional stew because we don't understand ourselves, each other, the way things are. We don't understand the mind. We don't understand other people's minds. We don't understand the causes and conditions that provoke us to, well, whatever your favorite source of unhappiness is. Anxiety, fear, restlessness, depression, jealousy, envy. Take your pick, or all of them. And so it's through the development of clear seeing and right understanding that we begin to purify our understanding. And when we see things as they truly are, when we understand things as they truly are, then we understand the nature of the mind, the nature of the body, and the cause-effect relationship between them. When we know this, we're not fooled by anything that happens. Then we can really step back from uh, the source of provocation in our life. We don't need to get entangled in all that happens. This is a great relief, but it takes development of mind. And this development of mind, both the calming of the mind and the clarifying of our understanding, is not a matter of belief. We can read the books and we can agree and we can believe it, 
But as you know, that's not enough to bring it into our life in a meaningful and effective way. And so it takes practice. It takes practice to develop the mind. What we'll be doing here is practicing. Practicing calming the mind, practicing understanding the mind, practicing clarifying our understanding. And in this way, we gradually will move towards really uh, a lifestyle of developing the mind rather than just a momentary or weekly or daily, hour-long practice of developing the mind. Do good deeds. Not so difficult. Avoid causing harm. The primary ingredient of avoiding causing harm is to feel compassion. Well, to understand what causes you harm. What causes you to feel unhappy? What causes you to feel in pain? What causes you to feel anxious or fretful? And when you see what that is, then you know others feel the same way when it happens to them. And so it causes us, it conditions us, it encourages us to speak carefully to one another, to act carefully and respectfully towards one another, to be uh, sensitive to our own suffering, to be sensitive to how others might be impacted by what we do and what we say. Actually, that's not so esoteric. That's pretty ordinary. You know, people throughout the world, in every culture, in every religion, in every society, understand this. But there's often not a very clear articulation of these are the practices. This is the practice, and it takes practice to actually speak carefully, to act carefully, so as to be able to live in harmony within ourselves and to live in harmony with each other. Again, the list of 10 unwholesome actions to avoid, of course, killing. And in this situation, we want to be respectful of all forms of life. We're not going to kill each other, of course, but, and I don't know if the mosquitoes are out yet, I haven't noticed. So, we're free of that torment, <laughs> at least for a while. But just to be respectful of all the life forms that you see, or that, you, that we share this time and place with. Stealing is, well, taking what is not offered. And primarily, our, this is a very safe place for all of us. But the, the, the admonition to refrain from stealing is to also be considerate, respectful as to how much of the Earth's resources you use. Because what is used and consumed and is no longer available for others is, well, maybe taking more than we need. There are untold future generations of beings that will want to live on this Earth with the resources that are available. And so how we act today is either a gift or burden to them. And so just to bring that awareness into your heart, into your mind as you uh, 
go through the lunch line, the meal line, use toilet paper, use water, use whatever it is that you use here. It's just to keep it in your mind. It doesn't mean that we have to uh, not do anything. We just want to be aware that part of our motivation in doing what we do is out of respect for and compassion for others here and in the future. And of course the third unskillful uh, bodily action is acting out our sexual activity or sexual energy in a way that causes others harm. Here on this retreat I'm going to ask you to be celibate, to refrain from acting on your sexual energy in any way. If it arises, learn from it. Be with it. You know, we're not suppressing, we're not denying, we're not avoiding, we're not condemning. We're just saying, what is this? How can I be with it? Rather than, you know, directing it outwards and hitting on someone, you know, or <laughs> writing notes or, you know, it happens, you know. In our ordinary life, it's, that's fair game. But here on retreat, we're here to learn about ourselves, to learn about our own minds and bodies and energy. And we can learn about somebody else's mind and body and energy later. But let's, let's get familiar with our own uh, here. And if we're careful with our own sexual energy, it will provide a very safe container for everyone here. So we want to be really um, careful about how we uh, move around others, okay? There are three, there are four mental, or, or th four verbal uh, unskillful actions. Lying, of course. And here the precept will be to, when you speak, when you have the opportunity to speak, asking a question or speaking in the groups, to speak the truth, meaning to speak your experience. Uh, I can't guide you if, if I'm not getting the, the facts, so to speak. And so when we have the opportunity to speak, to speak the truth will be beneficial to uh, you in how I can respond and beneficial to others too. And then the other speaking compassionately uh, ways are to avoid slandering others, to avoid harsh speech, and to avoid what is called sampapalapawara. Now, sampapalapawara sounds just like what it means. It's useless, frivolous, meaningless, you know, just doesn't really, nothing. That's sampapalapawara. So much of what we read, what we hear, what we see on TV, what we see on the web, and what we share with one another is useless. If we could cut out just the uselessness, the useless speech of our life, the world would suddenly be quiet. Consider that. So when you do have the opportunity to speak either to me or to uh, your roommate if you have to adjust some, something or with those that you're doing your yogi job with or with the staff at all, really consider carefully how to speak in a way that doesn't cause concern or anxiety or fear or uh, demand on them. The three mental actions of 
avoiding causing harm are to um, not covet others' belongings, to keep an eye on, to keep a, keep a handle on your ill will towards others. And it can happen here on retreat that, you know, somebody becomes our target for criticism and judgment and mm, we call it the Vipassana Vendetta. You know? <laughs> Everybody knows the Vipassana romance, you know, you see somebody who catches your eye and your attention and you're kind of, during the course of a silent retreat, if without having ever spoken to him, you fall in love with them. And you end up getting married and having kids and going through a life of domestic bliss, only to get divorced just the day before the retreat ends. And then when you speak to him, you find out that they're not the person that you want to do that with anyway. But in our minds, we can do that. Just as in our minds, we can create a tremendous uh, ill will towards one another here. So we want to be really attentive to um, that. And then the, the third uh, way to avoid causing harm is to uh, cultivate right view, meaning don't indulge in wrong view. And this is much of the practice, is to listen to the Dharma talks, listen to the instruction, to get the right view, and then to try to uh, put it in your heart, put it in your mind, put it in your practice. Because wrong view, as the Buddha said, has been the source since the beginning of time of the most suffering in humanity. Just not understanding things correctly. So I spent a little time on this do good, avoid causing harm, purify your mind, because while the words are simple, there's a lot behind it. What we'll be doing here is practicing all of these, 10 wholesome, avoiding the 10 unwholesome, and developing the mind through calmness and clarity of insight. Mahasi Saira then goes on to say, it is generosity that one can rely on for one's happiness, wealth, and humanity. Some of you know the benefit uh, to your own heart of practicing generosity. Uh, it's not uh, immediately obvious, sometimes it's counterintuitive to, to be generous with our time, to be generous with our knowledge, to be generous with our resources, our material goods. It's not always apparent how that brings happiness. But this place here is a gift of generosity. The staff are here as a gift of generosity. The members of the board that, that oversee and operate this center, it's a gift of generosity. Not because they feel obligated or you know, it's demanded or it's expected, but it's out of joy in being able to, being able to provide uh, a place, a time and place for all of us to hear and practice the Dharma. And so, however you receive it, understand this opportunity is a gift from others to you. In turn, we each have the opportunity to be generous with our effort here, to be diligent, to be sincere, to be <coughs> um, respectful of one another, to give of our time to our yogi job, 
to share uh, what we can of our experience, whether it questions, answers, uh, group interviews. <coughs> but to really approach the, the community that we're creating here out of um, a sense of sharing and uh, being in communion with one another. <clears throat> I've told this story, but I want to mention it, that several years ago, <clears throat> actually while I was walking through uh, downtown Portland after one of the retreats here, I just saw a lot of uh, homeless people and uh, beggars on the street, and I noticed in my own mind how uncomfortable it made me feel. And I would cross over the street to avoid walking near them, and I would see my mind criticizing them. What are they doing that for? And you know how they get that. I mean, I would feel pity, and I'd feel compassion, and I'd feel upset, I'd feel anxious, I'd feel. Well, I was tormented, and I realized that at some point I realized, wait a minute, I'm suffering by seeing needy people with my judgments, with my fear, with my anxiety, and I realized that they can't do anything about my suffering. Only I can. And so I began a practice of greeting and meeting the homeless people that I met, that I saw, that were in my path. And a very interesting thing happened, or I learned something really invaluable. They are human beings. They all have a story. And they all respond to uh, a personal touch from another. And so it takes a couple of words, and you greet them, and how are you doing today? What's going on? How much do you need? What do you need? What's and what I found that it isn't so much what I offered, whether it's a dollar or five or a meal or whatever, it was the human contact, the willingness to recognize, here's a human being and I care about you. That's the most generous thing we can do is to, is to recognize another person as a human being and that we care for them. We can't solve their problems. We can't change their life. We can't give them a job. We can't. There's a lot of things that we can't do, but we can acknowledge them. And here we do the same thing by the quality and the sincerity of our practice, by how we go through the meal line, by how we do our yogi job. It is a caring for one another that comes from a heart of generosity. It comes from a, a recognition that. We're all in this together, and will be for some time to come. Living in harmony, too, Mahasi Sayadaw says, is a real refuge in, it, in that it makes one pleasing, delightful, and free from destructive states of mind. Here on this retreat, our, living, our practice of living in harmony will be undertaking the precepts on the flip side of this. The precepts the five precepts, the five basic precepts, are minimal community agreements. 
that what I'm going to ask you all to agree to in order to be here, to not harm by killing or being respectful of life, to not harm by stealing or using more than is enough, to not act out your sexual energy, to speak the truth, and to avoid the use of intoxicants, that which clouds the mind. Now let me just say, if you have a prescription for anything under doctor's advice and orders, this is not the time to wean yourself off of it. This is the time to keep taking your medication in the same dose as you take outside of retreat. You're taking it for a medical reason or condition. It's useful, it's beneficial. It does not prevent you from developing your mind. There are many pharmaceuticals. Lots of us take pharmaceuticals for one reason or another and still practice quite effectively. So don't think that you can't practice and develop your mind uh, if you're taking pharmaceuticals of one sort or another. And why do we take these precepts? It's so that we can live in harmony with one another. You've all heard the precepts. You've all know, you all know that everyone else heard the precepts. And if we're still here tomorrow, it means that we've accepted the responsibility to live within them. This is a great gift to one another. We're not going to be bothering each other. We can live here feeling safe, feeling at ease with one another, trusting one another, feeling supported by one another in a way that is just not possible in our life outside of retreat. You know, there's a tremendous amount of uh, fear, uh, anxiety, tension uh, among and between peoples, groups of people, ethnic divisions uh, in our society, and it's, it has its effect. We live with that kind of an ambient level of tension and insecurity. But here we want to feel as safe and as connected and as like, mind, like we are among like-minded people. We all have some level of care for ourselves and I'm asking you to extend that care to each other by undertaking the precepts in a way that offers a safe container while you're here. Damadasa mentioned that this retreat will be held in noble silence. Noble silence doesn't mean that you don't speak. It really means that you're speaking whenever you have the opportunity and need to speak is supportive of your practice. It's not chit-chat, it's not social chit-chat, it's not getting to know you, but it's speaking in a way that supports awareness for yourself and one another. I was practicing in the monastery for, for many years, and after I'd been, been there for, I don't, don't remember exactly, but somewhere after a year or so, one of the monks in the monastery said to me one day, have you ever practiced without speaking? Like, that's what I was doing, I thought, for that year. And uh, evidently, I wasn't 
And I said, well, uh, no, I never really made that strong a commitment. He says, oh, you ought to try it sometime. Like, it really would be beneficial <laughs> if you would stop talking. And uh, so I said, okay, okay, I'm going to do that. Uh, I'm going to make a vow not to speak for three days. And I didn't keep the vow. I broke the vow all three days. I, I didn't speak. I mean, I spoke. I found some reason to have to speak to someone during those three days. But sometime later, one of the other monks that was there practicing with me, uh, he came up to me and he said, um, wow, uh, because some friends of mine had come to Burma to start practicing at the monastery. He says, oh, uh, I, I, I saw you talking to your friends there that just arrived today. And I said, oh yeah, they're friends that I'd known and I was happy to meet them. And he said, you know, I haven't, you, you haven't been talking for six weeks. And I said, I haven't? I mean, I didn't recognize, I didn't notice that I hadn't been speaking. I made the intention, I wasn't able to keep it, but the intention kept itself. There was some planting of a seed of intention in the mind to really, I want to try to practice this way. And after a few failures, the mind got on track and fulfilled that aspiration. So I want to ask you to really plant this seed in your mind. To take the opportunity during this week to only speak in a way that supports your practice. So that means, you know, as much as possible, putting aside the cell phones and the Twitters and the glitters and the tweeters and the, all those things, and to not read the books that, are, that you might find around, other than the ones I'm going to give you, <laughs> and to just really Minimize your use of words uh, to let the mind quiet down. Now, Mahasi Sayadaw gets into the real hardcore practice when he says, let there be only a few things that you attend to, a few words that you say, and a few hours that you spend sleeping. Well, a few things that you attend to. Let me, let me remind you, there is nothing to do here. I know, for some of you, to do your yogi job and fill your water bottle is going to be a full day. But there really is nothing else to do except, well, develop your mind. Just to pay attention. So be careful in noticing when you find your mind proliferating an agenda and a schedule for what you're going to do today is not necessary. Let there be only a few things that you need to attend to. Your yogi job, making the bed, whatever it is you got to do. Let there be only a few words that you say. When you do have the opportunity to speak, consider how to say succinctly what it is you need to say. I know. Sometimes we really want to get it out. And you all are fully aware, for those of you who've been on a retreat, that sometimes people get into performing mode. You know, they get into displaying themselves and performing in the asking of a question. What's that? <laughs> 
be really careful how much we say or you say. Now this last one, that there be only a few hours that you spend sleeping. What for you, now just you can show me with a show of hands, would be a few hours sleeping? Eight, that's a few hours sleeping. Seven, a few hours sleeping. Six, a few hours sleeping. Five, a few hours sleeping. Four, a few hours sleeping. Three, none. Two, one, okay. There's no standard for each one of us. But for practice, what this admonition or counsel asks us is to sleep only as much as needed and then have the courage to stay awake the rest of the time. Now maybe you get some hours at night and a nap in the afternoon, that's fine. But be careful about just lazing away this valuable time. In the monastery in Burma, they, they weren't quite so lenient. They had, they had a schedule. And as my teacher said, you can sleep as much as you like between 11 p.m. and 3 a.m. No more than four hours. But that's monastic <laughs> practice. Each one of us has to consider for ourselves how much is, how much do we really need to support our practice and to give up the rest. To not really indulge in the comfort of laying around in a mindless drift as sometimes happens. Then <coughs> Masisaya goes on to say, love solitude, be willing to learn, and seek good friends. These are the six factors contributing to good dhammas. Love solitude. We're here in a group of 45, five staff, I'm 50 people here. How are we going to experience solitude in a group like this? We experience solitude in our heart, in our mind. Solitude can be external, go to a cave, go to a remote place, live in solitude. But in this situation, it's really in our own heart. Can we be alone with our own experience? Can we let each other be alone with their experience? Sometimes in a retreat like this, we'll see uh, someone that we feel is having a difficult time. They may be crying, they may be distressed in one way or another. Let them be alone with it. As Dhammadasa said, if there's an emergency, of course, respond, take care, do what you can. But let people be with their own experience, whether it's great joy or great sorrow or sadness. It's by learning how to be with ourselves in all of these situations that we can really deepen our understanding of our own hearts, our own mind, what causes us to suffer, what causes us to live at ease in our life. Love solitude. Be willing to learn. You know, the word that uh, Mahasi Sayadaw used was be docile. And when I first read that, be docile, I thought that was something like a cow 
you know, you're just in the field, just kind of chewing your cud and just not paying attention, kind of dull. That's what I thought docile meant. But docile means be willing to learn, be willing to let someone teach you. Now, we've all come here for our own very personal reasons. And many of you have heard many, many teachings, far more than I'm going to give you this week. And from many different people, and more astute speakers and teachers than I am. Okay, you've learned that. Are you still willing to learn? Can whatever you've heard and learned and know from before not necessarily be put aside or ignored or, d or denied, but can you make space in your heart to learn something else? Not what I say, but to learn something from your own experience. We know ourselves so well. We've lived with ourselves our whole life. And yet, there's so much that we don't yet know. Are you ready to see to understand, to open to something about yourself that you don't yet know. Are you willing to learn about that? Okay, that, that's, that's the are you willing to learn. It's not are you willing to learn from a book. It's are you willing to learn from your practice. And then Mahasi Sayadaw goes on to say, seek good friends. Now, didn't he just say love solitude? and seek good friends. I'm not the only one that, that sounds a little contradictory, doesn't it? But actually, to seek good friends means to seek those who support your highest aspiration and bring out the best in you. Here, we've come for some reason. All of us have our own aspiration for this week or for a lifetime of practice, whatever it is and somehow feel or know that maybe this practice, maybe this group, maybe this time can be a support. Maybe these around you are the good friends that can bring out the best in you. May it be so. So when Mahasi Sayadaw says these six factors are the causes or factors contributing to good dhammas, he means that if we develop these factors, do little, sleep little, speak little, love solitude, seek good friends, and be willing to learn, the good dhammas are calming of the mind, clarity of the mind, understanding of the mind, loving kindness, equanimity, compassion, the forces in the mind that allow us to live at ease with one another and with ourselves. These are the good dhammas that we all want. We all want to be happy. We all want to live in harmony with one another. <coughs> we all want to understand ourselves and each other better. These are the good dhammas that come from developing these six factors. We'll speak more about the good dhammas that come with practice. Mahasi Sayadaw then goes on to acknowledge what we'll be practicing here. 
continuous mindful awareness leads to insightful understanding. It is the continuity of awareness that we'll be cultivating. It leads to insightful understanding of the relationship between the mind and the body. Their impermanence, their unreliability, their insubstantiality. This is the wisdom that leads to peace. So what he's saying is that by just developing a continuity of awareness, it's not, he's not saying you gotta sit, you gotta walk, you gotta do this, you gotta do that. He's just saying be as aware as you can continuity of awareness, that this will naturally unfold into an understanding of the mind, understanding of the body, their relationship, and the nature of the mind, the nature of the body. This understanding is what brings peace in the heart, in the mind. It's not an experience that brings peace in the heart, peace in the mind. It's an understanding. And this understanding comes from just paying attention to the way things are. So remember that as we, as we move through the weeks and move through the practice, that we're not trying to create any experience. We're not trying to make something happen. We're not seeking you know, spiritual goodies. They may come, and they will, they do. But that's not the goal. The goal is understanding. Can we be aware? And if we are, we'll begin to understand more. This center, this retreat, should be a quiet place where we strengthen our faith, practice generosity, live in harmony, calm and liberate the mind. Whatever you agenda you brought, let it go. There's nothing to do here. If we practice, we will be quiet, we'll strengthen our faith in the Dharma, in our own practice, in ourselves, in the teachings, and we'll uh, really learn the wisdom of living in harmony, practicing generosity, and of uh, freeing the mind. It's not so, it's not so complex. It's not so esoteric. We're not, we're not trying to create any elaborate spiritual anything. We just want to be human and to live simply with our mind and body in each other. And if we do, the rest will unfold by itself. So whatever agenda you brought with you, just leave it aside. And just live simply here quietly, attentively, and the rest will happen. This is the source of great peace in our heart. So I wanted to speak uh, briefly about this uh, admonition or encouraging counsel that Mahasi Saida offers because it reminds us of what it is we're doing here. And it takes it out of the realm of striving, of needing to accomplish something, to achieve something. It takes it out of the, the realm of uh, spiritual athleticism, you know, kind of like becoming a, a real spiritual jock. Uh, 
and just brings it back into the very human, can we be kind, can we be quiet, can we be respectful to one another, and can we be attentive? And that's the practice. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.